0: Do you ever have some kind of ritual or some kind of thing that you do to prepare yourself for something special? Uh, For some of us, this may be a lucky outfit that we wear before a sports game. Uh, For others of us, it may be a special meal that you eat before a big day or before a job interview, a film you have to watch in order for it to feel like the holiday that you're celebrating. Uh, We can be a little ritualistic as human beings. We have these things that get us sort of in the mood or in the space for something or the other. And uh, some of us respond differently to this than other people. Some of us love these things. We kind of love the idea that uh, we're doing our special tradition thing, our ritual thing. It makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel like we're ready. There's others of us who find this just to be so silly and superstitious and uncomfortable because why would you think that why would you engage in your special ritual before doing whatever and we respond differently as different kinds of people whether we like those things or we don't Uh, Some of you have probably looked around and been a little confused by your neighbors over the last few days. First, they come home with ashes on their foreheads, and then they're giving things up. Next thing you know, everyone and their brother is eating fish sandwiches for some reason. I mean, Chick-fil-A now has a fish sandwich for the New England market. That seems bizarre. Uh, Why is everybody involved in this? As we get into Holy Week, People are going to start naming days and you don't even know what they mean. What's a Monday, Thursday? And why don't you just call it a Monday if it's a Thursday? I don't understand what's going on. It's just there's a lot that surrounds this Easter season that for those of us that didn't grow up in sort of this more uh, liturgical world, it feels bizarre and uncomfortable. And we're like, what exactly is going on? And this is something I've had to process. I grew up in a tradition that really did not value some of these rituals and traditions for our spirituality. Uh, My family never did anything with Ash Wednesday or Lent. or Frankly, we never had Easter when I was a kid. Uh, We we had Easter bunny. We had eggs. But we did not do anything at church for Easter because we celebrate the Lord's death every Sunday. And there is no reason for us to celebrate Easter because that's just weird and it's different. And I think one of the things that the way I grew up missed and the things that we can often miss is, um, is how human beings work. I think sometimes we assume that human beings are computers that have switches and we have a worship switch that goes on and off. And so when you show up at the church building, when you come into this auditorium, when I say, hey, guys, time to start church, we can flip that switch and the switch is on, and boom, I am in to my time of worship. And then when we leave, we can flip it off and go, okay, now it's lunchtime, or now it's football time. And we just easily transition in and out of that, and we're just ready to go. And you don't need the ritual, you don't need the tradition, you don't need times of preparation if you're a computer that switches on and off. But I think we all know that we're not computers that switch on and off you have sat in this pew too many times with your mind wandered to what's going on at your job this week or what's going on at your family or some friend that you're concerned about or whatever. And you've thought about that and you've left church and you've gone, I was never really present at all today because I had a whole lot of other things going on. Cause you're not a computer. You don't have the switch. And so what I've been wrestling with is I didn't grow up with all of these Easter traditions, but I see them around me. What's, what's the value in them? What's the purpose in them? And what could I learn from them? And the thing that I take away from it is this idea of preparing your heart. It's a phrase that interestingly does not appear in the Bible all that often. You know, this week I was like, all right, let's Google prepare your heart passages. I'm not that great of a scholar. Sometimes I do things like this. And interestingly, it's not there a lot. The Bible doesn't use the exact phrase prepare your heart much. But there are other phrases in the Bible. There's uh, one of the phrases we use a lot is uh, the people consecrated themselves for worship, which sounds really weird and uncomfortable and maybe painful for us because we don't know what that means. But there's this idea that they made themselves holy, that they prepped for their time of worship, whether it was building the temple or rededicating the temple. There was a time of consecration. Uh, Jesus talks about this in a couple of ways. One of the ways that Jesus discusses preparing your hearts for worship is if you have a problem with someone else, uh, if there's you have a brother who you have a disagreement with, Jesus talks about don't offer your sacrifice while you're angry and feuding with someone. You need to put down the sacrifice, go find them, make it right, And then come back to worship because you need to be prepared to be um, kind of in the right space. Um, Paul talks about it, as we mentioned earlier, when he talks about discerning the body of Christ. That there's something that needs to happen at communion. And if it doesn't happen, Paul suggests people are even getting sick and dying in their church because they were engaging in that part of worship without properly preparing themselves for worship. And so I want to spend some time today um, thinking about how we prepare our hearts. How do we get ready for worship? If we can't just rock up and be like, all right, boom, I'm ready to go, then what does it mean for us to prepare? How do we prepare? What does it look like? And the resource I want to spend some time with today is a, a group of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent or the Songs of Ascent. Uh, these are a group of Psalms that are near the end of the book of Psalms, uh, in the one twenties and the one thirties. If you've ever read your Bible all the way through, they're the Psalms that make you, uh, it's like the downhill part of a marathon. Cause you're like, I've been reading these really long chapters and all of a sudden you hit these ones that are all like six verses each and you're like, all right, I'm moving through them. And you're just whipping through the pages cause they're short. That's a very cynical way to look at it, but they're all there and they have these, a script, um, these subscripts that say, a song of ascent. And we're not 100% sure why they're called that, but we have good guesses. The primary reason that we believe they're called songs of ascent is because these are songs that would be sung by pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem. They were coming for a big festival, be it Passover or uh, Tabernacles or whatever, that they would sing these songs as they climbed their way to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is up on a mountain. If you notice in the Bible, you always go up to Jerusalem. Even if you're north of it, you're still going up to it because it's an elevation issue. You're going from a lower place to a higher place. And so these are songs that you would sing along the way as you travel up into Jerusalem. And they're made to prepare your heart for your pilgrimage, to prepare your heart for the festival to come. And there's a lot of them. We could look at a lot of different stories, but we're going to particularly today um, look at one of them and what it can teach us about how we prepare our hearts for worship. Uh, Psalm 130, verse 1, uh, and I've actually added the subscript here. I usually don't, but a song of a sense. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so, what, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. There are a few things in this psalm that I think uh, we can take away as kind of part of how we prepare for worship that I think is really helpful. Um, The very beginning of the psalm talks about uh, crying out to God for help, there's this early point. Uh, where the psalmist says, hear my voice, be attentive to my cry, out of the depths I cry to you. There's almost this imagery of someone underwater reaching out saying, please pull me out from this place. I cannot get past this. And I think that it is helpful for us to think about this idea because a lot of worship is about acknowledging reality. Um, this is a, a thing, you know, we talk about, oh, we're going to praise God, we're going to worship. And, well, why do we do it? And sometimes we get this bad idea, I think, that God, like, has a, a little ego and somehow God needs us to, like, give him a pat on the back, like, oh, you're such a great God, uh, as if there's something that he needs. But I think it's really more about helping attune us to the way the world really is. Uh, we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy convincing other people that we're okay. Uh, This happens all the time when someone goes, hey, how are you doing? And we always say fine. We are trained to say fine. And if you weren't fine, you're not going to say that you're not fine. Very rarely are you in a place where if you see someone on the street and they go, oh, Caleb, how's it going? You haven't seen this guy in six months. You go, oh, I am desperately pulling back tears because I am so upset about my life. Someone go, oh, um, awesome. Great. See ya. You know, like, I mean, no one wants to have that conversation. And so we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy faking how fine we are. And people are always looking to it. Maybe our spouses, our kids, our, our people that we work with, our boss. And none of them want to look at us and see, I am stuck in the depths. I need help. I need to be pulled out. And so we spend a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy letting the rest of the world know that we're doing just fine, even if we feel like we're drowning. And worship is a place where we can embrace the reality that we do not have our stuff together. Part of the worship experience, part of the reason you praise God is because you go, I'm incapable and you are not. I am broken and you are whole. I cannot handle my stuff, and you can. And so these Psalms of Ascent have these phrases, like the one we read earlier today, had the Lord not been on our side, we would have been wiped out. Because there's this acknowledgement of I'm about to spend time worshiping a God who can fix the messes that I cannot fix. And there's something freeing in that. To have a time and a space, this is something I think our secular friends probably miss out on and they don't have. To have a space to be able to admit vulnerability, to admit weakness, to admit life's not easy, that I can't do it. Um, It's something that's good for us because it's just an acknowledgement of reality. Hiding and pretending like you're all put together is just not good for us over long stretches of time. And so these songs of ascent teach us that one of the first things we do is we cry out and we say, I am in the depths and I need you. Please help me. Another thing these psalms often do is they talk about sin. They talk about sort of how we have these dirty hands, that we have these inability to uh, do the right thing and that we're looking for forgiveness. Worship is often a place where we say, I have not lived up to the st- my standards or God's standards and I want to be better about that. And so here in Psalm 130, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. There's this idea that as we prepare for worship, one of the things we acknowledge to ourselves and to other people and to God is that I make mistakes and I mess up. And far too often we try to pretend like that never happens. Um, I was this week; it made me think about George Costanza quitting his job. I don't know how. I may be the only Seinfeld guy here. There's this great episode. It's perfect. George um, gets really upset. He decides he hates his job. So on Friday afternoon, in the middle of the meeting, he stands up and he has a tour de force where he tells his boss where he can stick his job. And he's like, this place stinks. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. And I quit. And he runs out the door. The rest of the episode takes place over the weekend where George realizes he really needs the job. Okay. He still needs a paycheck. He still needs to work. And he realizes I'm really unemployable. (laughs) And these people were dumb enough to give me a job. What am I going to do? And the idea they come up with is show up Monday morning and just pretend like nothing ever happened. And so this is the scene. This woman's looking at him and she's like, George, you quit Friday. He goes, Quit? Who quit? I didn't quit. And he just pretends like nothing happened. He hopes to just, you know, poker face his way through it and just bluff his way through it and go, No, there was nothing that happened and just keep the job that he told everybody off about on Friday. That is the way some of us kind of try to come to God and worship. Sin, disobeying you, not doing what you desire. <laughs> no, 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 that wasn't me. I didn't do that. God, are you sure you're remembering that right? I'm pretty sure I didn't do those things. And it sounds silly, but it is the way sometimes we come into these things where we pretend like nothing is a problem. And so the Psalms of Ascent, I think she's just playing with Mary. She's just playing with Mary. Uh, The Psalms of Ascent tell us That um, we come in and we acknowledge our sinfulness and that we don't act like Costanza coming back to his job. And we go, yes, I messed up. Something did happen. I acknowledge it and God, I really need your help with it. Uh, The third thing I think that these do for us is they remind us uh, to wait. There's this expression I think is very similar to prepare your hearts where it says, I wait on the Lord. We mentioned that we are not computers that cannot just flip on and off for worship. Uh, the reverse side of the humans are computers argument is God is a vending machine argument. The idea that I come to God and and the the negative part of, Hey, I'm going to show up on Wednesday morning or Sunday morning. And at 10 AM, I'm going to flip my switch and boom, I'm going to be in worship mode. The flip side of that is, and not only that, but God's going to be present and he's going to bless me and he's going to feed me. And then he's going to go away and leave me alone for the rest of the week. That worship is a time where we come up to the cosmic vending machine in the sky, we push the right button, sing the right song, say the right words, and then God is going to act exactly like we want God to act. And if he doesn't, it's just very rude of him not to do so. But the psalmist says, no, I come and I wait on the Lord. This means uh, I do things on God's schedule. I am willing, if I come to church and I'm looking for some kind of peace and comfort and it doesn't come, I'll wait around till it does. I do not expect God to work on my schedule and in the ways that I, uh, I, I desire, not in the ways that I specify. There's a lot of humility in this phrase of waiting on the Lord, that my timetable is not the only timetable that matters. And that sometimes what God has to tell me, he will tell me when he is good and ready and not just because I show up demanding it. And it's important to prepare ourselves that way because we all know that sometimes you walk away from church and it doesn't mean much. Again, hopefully today will be so meaningful to you that you'll walk away going, oh God, Caleb's sermon was so wonderful. But it may be possible that today's sermon, for whatever reason, is going to bounce right off you like water off the back of a duck. And if we walk away from things going, Oh, geesh, well, that was no good for me. Why am I going to show up if I'm not fed? It's like this uh, this very arrogant thing where I'm expecting to receive something and I want it on my pace and in my way. And so I wait on the Lord as something we prepare ourselves with. I am here to do what God wants at God's time and God's way. And maybe what God has for me today is not the thing that I expect or I desire. Uh, I want to think for just a second, about the image of these songs of ascent and these people coming up to Jerusalem. You can imagine their families uh, with their little packs and maybe a little cart, and they're going up to Jerusalem. I'm sure they packed lighter than we pack. But still, you have your family together. You're walking up to Jerusalem. You're uphill. Everybody's a little tired, but you're singing these songs, and everybody is getting ready to worship. And I'm sure there was some stress to it, But I almost had this idyllic scene of the family enjoying each other's time. And it's kind of family vacation plus worship experience. And then I think about the ways that so many of us (laughs) enter worship. And it is not an idyllic scene of trying to prepare our hearts. A lot of times, and frankly, today is a great example of it because every kid in the church is screaming today, right? This, but this is the problem, right? Like, this is the world we live in where it's like, oh, I've got to make it to church in time. We're running out the door late, and we forget something, and our hair's half done, and we're, like, putting on lipstick at the stoplight, and there's just all kinds of nuttiness and chaos, and we're running in the door five, 10 minutes late. Sorry, oh, things were crazy. And it's just all this stuff is going on. And I think about how the Israelites tried to prepare their hearts for worship. And I wonder, do we spend any effort preparing our hearts for worship? Now, I want to be clear. This could really sound like a you people need to show up to church on time sermon. And that's not the full goal here, Okay. Um, Because, to be honest, I'm one of the worst about this. There's an audio issue right now going on with this computer that's ticking me off and is in the back of my head the whole time I'm trying to preach the sermon. Like, because of my job and because of how we run things, I'm constantly fighting with the printer or figuring out the Bluetooth or whatever. I'm not the best guy to preach this sermon. But for all of us, the question is, are we making space and time to prepare to actually have an encounter with God where we will wait on Him and hear Him? Or are we running around like crazy people just to get everybody dressed and come in the door? And listen, I'm a fan, I've am got four kids. I get it. But for some of us, and for many of us, for me, some of that is that like I steal the extra 15 minutes of sleep so that I then can have craziness as I walk into church instead of getting up a little bit earlier and having a peaceful mind as I come into church. Um, For some of us, that's like, what do you do do in the morning? What is the sound of your house? Is there, like, maybe some good contemplative Christian music in the background? Or are you sitting there, like, catching up on something from the night before? Um, Do you sleep well the night before church? Do you have a good Saturday night bedtime so you say, when I show up, I will be awake for the sermon tomorrow? And again, I know I sound like your dad fussing at you, and I'm not the same. But it's just something we have to think about. We had a preaching instructor at, in school that said, you're a preacher. You are never allowed to watch Saturday Night Live. And we're like, what? And he goes, no, listen, you had to be up on Sunday, and you need to be spiritually prepared to share the word of God. And you cannot do that if you are watching a TV show at 12.30 on Saturday night. You can't do it. You are not allowed to watch it. Like, he was just really strict with us. And I always appreciated him for that, though, because he was telling us 19-year-old guys, you think that you're invisible. You think that you're a machine. You think you'll flip the switch. But what you're doing Saturday night, what you're doing Sunday morning, the way you prep things, those things are all going to play with whether or not you're going to be able to receive anything on Sunday morning. And so many of us put nothing into the prep, put, have no, we're just not coming ready, and then we're shocked and amazed and frustrated that we got nothing out of church because we spent half of the time feeling harried and rushed and all of these kinds of things. And so what does it mean to prepare your heart for worship? Um, oh, that was my nice picture of the way it maybe should look. Um, the other thing for us is big dates. Um, Jesus practiced pilgrimage. Jesus did not live close to Jerusalem. Okay, this was not a two-hour commute from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It would have been a day or two journey for Jesus to go. And yet throughout the book of John, Jesus is there every special holiday at the temple because he wants to celebrate the Festival of Lights or he wants to celebrate um, Passover or booths or whatever. And these big days on our calendars are important. For our church, that means Easter and Christmas and uh, anniversary service. Those are kind of our big Sundays that we put together. And there's nothing magic about those, but they are important. There's something good for our spiritual life to have big days that we aim at. And that's why as we lead up, we talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Um, we don't do a full Lenten calendar here, but I would encourage you, you have two weeks now before Easter, Prepare your heart. Think about what God has done in Jesus. Think about the resurrection. Think about Jesus' death. Like Meditate on those things. Consider those things. Because I think if we put in the homework ahead, and homework's a bad term, right? Because everyone hates homework. But if you do the preparatory work to your heart to say this is going to be a big day for all of us to celebrate together, then it changes this. I think what's really hard for some of us to realize is this stuff is contagious. Uh, this is hard. This is really hard for me. If I am grumpy, my wife and my kids are going to be Grumpy. And I have four kids. If my four kids are grumpy out there, that's going to make all those kids grumpy, which then going to make them scream so you can't pay attention. Right? Like there's like, there is all this stuff. If Caleb is in a bad spot Sunday morning, it is bad for the feast church. That spreads. It's a cancer that moves out. And similarly, because I'm preaching, right? You don't need me preaching a mood. And so these things do spread, but it spreads the opposite way. If you have Honestly, we could have 60, 70 people on Easter who have all been intently thinking about how great Jesus' resurrection is, and then we hit that first song, and it's an exciting, yay, Jesus is raised song, and people start singing out. The place can feel pretty explosive, and it can be an incredible experience. But a lot of that happens based on how you've prepped your heart. And some of it's being not selfish, not expecting to show up and have the other worshipers light your fuse for you um and so it's my you know i'm losing my sense now it's just important for us to prepare our hearts to be ready to expect god to do something to expect we will learn something in church to expect that our worship will be meaningful to expect that god wants to move and to prepare our hearts to be ready to do that um it's my hope that um as we go into our daily walk, as we go through our life, as we get ready for next Sunday, as we get ready for Easter, and all of these things, uh, use these Psalms of Ascent as, as a guide. I mean, there's, they're clearly marked in your Bible, Psalm of Ascent. They're right there in the 120s and the 130s. Go ahead and use them. And just think about coming to worship recognizing, I'm not as competent as I would like to be. I am not as righteous as I would like to be. And I am impatient for God. And that in accepting those things, we then put ourselves into a reality where we're ready to hear God's word. Right. So this is a real, I love this. This is a practical question that uh, Fran, you probably should answer this. Um, How do you prepare your kids for church on Sunday morning? So one of the things that Fran does really well, uh, Pandora is awesome, right? Like you can put in like kids worship into Pandora. And they'll have great, like, the songs we sing, but, like, little kids singing them. And uh, one of the things that I think is important is um, for our kids, like, there's a vibe. They know, like, hyped-up vibe, and they know, like, chill vibe, right? And so Sunday morning, we work on the chill vibe so that when they come in, they're like, yeah, I'm having a good day. Instead of like, wow, let's go, let's have fun, you know? Um, I would say... This is just a little thing that helps our teachers. The amount of sugar content that goes to your kids on Sunday morning will make a difference, right? Like if it's like, hey, look, you know. I mean, and I'm not fussing at anybody, but like when kids come in like hopped up on donuts, it's like, woohoo. Now there's just going to be a little more noise, a little more sound back there. But um, I think what also bigger is you're building a family. One of the things you do is um, you have the sense of Sabbath. Or you have the sense of worship and that Sunday morning is God's time. And so, you know, that's what we're about. That's who we are as a family. Like we have devoted Sunday morning to the Lord. And so that's a space for us that that's what we do. And I think that you can build a culture of that where your kids are just kind of used to it. Uh, One of the things that we do, maybe sounds silly, we always do allowances on Sunday morning. Because we we give our kids an allowance amount that allows them to give so like Rue's allowance is $1.25. And it's real easy. I then go, Ruth, would you like to give anything back to church? She doesn't have to. But usually she goes, sure, and hands me the quarter, right? And this is, I mean, 25% is, I'd love for you all to tie the 25%, but it's a little much. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can do a dollar and a dime, whatever. And it helps teach them that. But it's also like a, um, it also encourages that generosity and giving of yourself is something we do on Sunday morning, And so, like, allowance seems like a weird thing to do on Sunday, but it's something we do. Um, So I think that's all. I don't know. I think that's all really helpful.